I am Reverend Dr. Anthony Flood, board chair, chairman of the board of Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. Yes, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome you and those on live streaming to the 2024 Advocacy Day, Day for All People. We are honored and privileged that the St. Paul's Episcopal Church in this beautiful edifice is hosting this important Advocacy Day in an atmosphere that is welcoming to all people of faith and goodwill from across Virginia, where they can make their voices heard and meet with their legislators. In Richmond, Virginia, on a cold January morning, nearly 400 gathered inside St. Paul's Episcopal Church before heading into the office of lawmakers to press the 2024 legislative agenda of the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week we explore the beliefs shaping our world, our politics, and the events unfolding around us. State legislatures around the country are in session. While we often hear about the efforts of conservative faith-based groups influencing state policy, typically around hot-button and controversial issues like reproductive health care or book bans, that is not a full picture, certainly not in Virginia. We feel that you have come here today in order that the purpose of your good work may be made plain and that you may always bring in new approaches that may give us vision and hope for the future. The Day for All People is a lobbying day for volunteers coming in from across the state. In the morning before they head out, a lineup of speakers reflect the racial, religious, and cultural diversity of the volunteer network. That includes both clergy like Reverend Dr. Flood, as well as lay leaders like Alia Farouk. Salam, shalom, and namaste. My name is Alia Farouk. Although we have a limited ability to assist those suffering around the world, we certainly do have the power to come together and create change within our own communities here at home. Farouk serves as the chair of the Virginia Interfaith Power and Light. That's a multi-faith network organization focused on equity and the environment. In her remarks, she began by acknowledging the scope of global struggles on the minds of many, without mentioning Ukraine or Sudan or Gaza explicitly. She instead brings the attention back to the Commonwealth. So today, we come together to advocate for a better Commonwealth, a greener and more resilient Virginia, where clean water and clean air are a right and not a luxury where proper comprehensive planning will lead to healthier communities, where we can focus on our obligations and keep our promises 
to become carbon neutral by 2045. Pivoting from a sense of being overwhelmed by the global scale of challenges is not accidental. It's an intentional focus for the leader of the network, Kim Bobo. Since 2016, she has served as the executive director. I first met Bobo in Chicago in the 1990s when she was leading the National Interfaith Worker Justice Network. It's a group she founded to advocate for low-wage workers. It was not her first foray into faith-based organizing. After working with hunger advocates at Bread for the World and later with coal miners, Bobo put together all of that insight and wrote a guide for activists on winning campaigns. Lives Matter, a handbook for Christian organizing, which was published in 1986. Faith has been a constant theme in Kim Bobo's work and organizing. She grew up in a conservative evangelical home. However, after leaving Ohio and attending college in New York, she began affiliating with faith communities where social justice was a prominent focus. For 25 years, she served as a choir director at the Good News Community Church in Chicago. That describes itself as theologically progressive and boldly inclusive. In 2016, Bobo moved to Richmond, Virginia, and became a registered member of Wellesley United Methodist Church. She has quickly become one of the most influential advocates in the Capitol, known for building bipartisan support for issues. To learn more about this year's agenda and efforts to influence policymaking, I spoke with Bobo on our studio line from her offices in Richmond. Kim Bobo, welcome to Inspired. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Great to be with you. This is not new space, and you've stayed in the space. Faith and politics are not an easy sandbox to play in. Well, I think there are a number of reasons why I've stayed in this work. You know, my faith really drives me to do this work, right? To to care about justice, to try to make a difference in the world. But I think secondly, it's I've seen the power of the faith community to move um issues of justice. And, and and I like to be effective. And so again, the combination of it is my own faith, but it's also it's a way of working that can really matter. This is the Virginia Interfaith Center. Tell us a little bit about what that means. What is that organization's history? And what are you focused on uh, in 2024? The Virginia Interfaith Center was founded uh, more than 40 years ago with the mission of engaging the faith community and having a public voice uh, at the General Assembly and on issues and policies that are decided in Virginia. Um, And from the beginning, it was a commitment to do the work interfaith. So not just Christian uh, and frankly, not even just Christian Jewish Muslim, but how do we incorporate the broad faith community in Virginia? Um, and, and I think that's so important because really, uh, the, essentially the golden rule undergirds all of our faith communities, right? Caring about our neighbor, showing love to our neighbor. We have a sign that we uh, use everywhere that says all faiths believe in justice. Um, and that really is kind of our motto and how we move forward. Uh, now, you and I both know there are some issues that the faith community is not united on. And frankly, we don't work on those issues. We work on the range of issues that are uniting within the faith community. And those tend to be uh, concern for the poor. You know, how do we make sure that our uh, brothers and sisters with uh, lower incomes uh, can survive and thrive in, in the state? It's concern for people who are incarcerated. 
um, and its concern for immigrants and, and others who are marginalized. Those are concerns that, frankly, unite our traditions. Um, and frankly, there's so much work that needs to be done in all those spaces. What are the focus areas for 2024 in the Virginia Assembly and Senate and mindful that you have a Republican governor? So this year, our work is largely in four buckets. So bucket one is health equity. So uh, we worked many years ago on helping expand Medicaid. Virginia was the first state in the South to uh, expand Medicaid. So we've continued that work to try and get people access to health care. Uh, we're leading on a bill to require unconscious bias training for healthcare professionals that deal with pregnant women. Um, we're supporting budget amendments to get community health workers funded, um, and we're supporting money to get health coverage for undocumented children in Virginia who would be eligible for Medicaid if they had documentation. So that's kind of our health equity budget. On our criminal justice reform bucket, we are limiting the use of attack dogs in prison. In Virginia, uh, we have a history of basically sending dogs in to extract people from cells. They get bitten. They're terrorized. It's really a barbaric practice that is a legacy from slavery in Virginia. Uh, So we're trying to limit that. Kim, can I just interrupt you there for a second? Can you just talk more for a moment about the use of attack dogs in prisons? It's not an issue that I've heard a lot about, and it's not one we've covered before. We've talked about health equity issues and addressing the needs of immigrants and those who are marginalized. But I will have to tell you, at least in the last six years that I've been behind this microphone... I I have not had anyone bring this issue up. Absolutely. And part of the reason you probably haven't heard about it is, frankly, it's primarily a Virginia problem. Um, There were uh, 271 dog bites in Virginia over a six-year period, and the next highest state had 15. So, like, this is not a problem in most states. It is a problem in Virginia. We believe that this practice of using attack dogs on prisoners really goes back to the history of when enslaved people would run away. Their owners would, frankly, take dogs out to search for them. So the use of dogs with people who are vulnerable um, really has a racist history in Virginia. These attack dogs, honestly, are used mostly in prisons that are uh, Uh, disproportionately people of color and they're in rural areas and the guards are almost all white. And so there's, it's hard to view this and not see a racial component to the use of attack dogs. Now, this is different from the um, drug smelling dogs. A lot of prisons use those. They don't attack people. Um, But Virginia has a practice of using these attack dogs, both to intimidate people and when people are, Uh, not wanting to come out of their cell, they send the attack dogs in to get them out. They bite them, they do damage, um, and it's terrifying. It's a barbaric practice, and uh, I think we're going to change that here in Virginia. It's a question of how do you treat people humanely. Mm. We're not doing that in Virginia right now. We do live in a time in which we do see lots of different faith-based groups, and they're not a monolith can take very different positions on public policy matters. The Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy has a process and a focus on the General Assembly. Tell me a little bit about how you developed your agenda. 
This is a very good question. Uh, We do have a set of criteria that we use as an organization for deciding what issues we're going to work on. And those criteria are pretty uh, simple things. It's like the issue is unifying within the faith community. So it's something that the broad faith community can agree on. It's something that people care about. It's something we've got the capacity to work on. So either our staff or the resources or whatever, so we could do it. Um, and for most issues, not all issues, but for most issues, we believe we have a shot at winning. Um, now, sometimes winning is defined as a couple years, right? Not all issues can be won in year one. So sometimes you run a bill knowing you can't get it, but you're going to build up support for future years. Um, but frankly, we don't want to just tilt at windmills. We want to make a concrete difference because people's lives are ex- at stake. Um, and, and so that's why you can't really do this work on your own. You really have to have a professional team of folks that help guide an organization. So we listen to folks all over the state. We have a large board, 30 people, different faiths from all over the state. They listen to what people care about. They are connected to to the denominations and can help us understand what are priorities for the denominations. So through that process, we get a sense of what people care about and what's unifying within the faith community. And then it's really matching that with our understanding of the politics and who controls various committees and what's possible at any given time and trying to, in that mix, find, you know, what are the handful of things we can work on so that we can really make a difference. There is this sense sometimes in the faith community that we're just going to be sort of the sacred remnant, sort of speaking truth to power. And, And while you know, that has its merits. It's not going to necessarily win stuff. And and I think we really have a, a real commitment to winning, to making a difference, right? To making policies happen that will make life better for poor and marginalized people in Virginia. Um, I honestly don't think they want us just to take stands. They want us to make a difference. And frankly, we've got an incredible network across the state of Virginia. We've got people in every legislative district in the state. People are organized. People respond. They make phone calls and letters and and visits with legislators. They write op-eds. And for so many people, um, they say to me, look, Kim, I couldn't do this on my own. Thank you for helping us and giving us the tools so we can we can be effective advocates. The idea that you want to choose issues that are consensus building and bring people together that avoid some of those areas that can be divisive and polarizing. And also the idea that it needs to be an issue that can be won. There's a certain practicality and a focus on impacting people's lives. Do you get pushback for taking a pragmatic approach Well, we certainly do get some pushback, um, but I think an awful lot of people appreciate the the way that we go about this. Now, again, if your issue is some issue that's really controversial, obviously you would like us to work on that. But again, if it's not something where there's a lot of consensus in the faith community, we're simply not going to do it because we can't afford to split our coalition. Um, when there are so many things that we agree on and can work together. And we have such a problem with poverty and racism in Virginia. And these are things we can work together on. In terms of being pragmatic, um, 
again, everybody, uh, there's an awful lot of people who'd like us to work on their issue. Um, but we do try to focus on a handful of things that we can be effective on. And as a result, we have a track record of winning. I mean, we draft legislation, we find the patrons, we we work it, and we make a difference in Virginia. And there's a lot of places where there's not that kind of power at the state level that a faith-based social justice organization has. And we have it because we've been strategic. And Organizing 101, people want to win, right? They want to be a part of something that can be effective. And we give people that opportunity. Now, we don't win on everything, trust me. <laughs> I wish we did. Uh, but we do work really hard at, at finding the place where we have a shot. And sometimes it's two or three years, right? We're we're on our fourth year right now of trying to get a paid sick day standard in Virginia. And we are hopeful. Again, we don't know for sure. We're hopeful the governor will sign it. Um, it is uh, a paid sick day standard would help uh, all low wage workers. A lot of sort of both Republicans and Democrats uh, would really uh, benefit by this. For folks who are listening across the country who are part of or have been a part of interfaith communities, many have witnessed the demographic changes that have taken place in America's, you know, houses of worship. How has the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy uh, adapted to the changing demographics of Virginia, which is a microcosm of the changing demographics across the country? Terrific question. Um, we've done that in several ways. Um, one, if you look at our mission statement, it, it talks about engaging people of faith and goodwill in advocating economic, racial, and social justice in Virginia's policies and practices. So again, we're trying to create the opportunity for people who don't consider them part of a organized religious uh, community to be a part of us because they're people of goodwill. So our mission statement reflects some of that changes. Secondly, um, we do recognize that the denominations are struggling because car many congregations are dwindling and are struggling. Um, and frankly, when we first started, almost all of our financial support came from the denominations. Well, that's a, a, a declining amount in, in right now in our budget. We do get support from denominations. We get it from congregations, but we increasingly get it from individuals who really care about the work that we're doing. But thirdly, you know, the number one thing people are talking about is the decline of congregations and the decline of people going to services and blah, blah, blah. It is still an enormous number of people um, who are active in faith communities. So if you look at any other institution, there's nothing that compares to the number of people that are connected with faith congregations. So we don't have to organize everybody. But if we were able to organize a, a minuscule part of the faith community in Virginia, we'd have incredible power. So, so again, yes, it's declining. But honestly, we just do the work that we're doing. We organize people, we get congregations, and increasingly we're getting lots of people connecting with us. They're spiritual, not religious, right? They, they consider themselves people of faith, but they're not connected to organized religion, and they are more than welcome to be involved with us. January 17th, the Day for All People, is the first event that you have uh, in 2024. But then on February 8th is a Student Day of Action. What is, is there a focus on youth engagement at the Virginia Interfaith Center? 
Absolutely. And that's why we created the second day. The first day uh, works for our traditional base. Um, and it's a great time in terms of the General Assembly. But so many colleges and schools are not back by then. And so the date just doesn't work for them. And actually, it, there's also kind of a different tone and a different style that's needed working with a young adult. What do you mean by that? Frankly, they're better on social media. They don't have quite as much knowledge of how the uh, process, the legislative process works. You know, some of the young adults, young students don't know all that stuff, but they have a set of social media skills they can use in this work that some of the older folks don't. Um, and, you know, and frankly, there's people who come um, who are not connected to congregations. Almost everybody through our Day for All People, our main lobby day, you know, most of them come through congregations, not all, but most. With the Student Day of Action, they come in their student groups. And, you know, some are involved in congregations and many are not. It's just a different feel to the event. But both are great and both will ma make a difference in terms of uh, our issues on the agenda. With younger people who are engaging, do they identify as uh, members of or uh, part of you know, explicit faith communities? Are these the nuns and the unaffiliated and then spiritual but not religious? Where are you seeing that energy coming from when you put out the call to act? Well, we work with both. There's four or five seminaries in Virginia. We work with all the seminaries. So we will have seminary students. So these are people who are preparing to be in ministry. We will have them at our event. We also have good relationship with campus ministries and with the Hillels and the Muslim Student Associations. And we'll have some of them there, um, you know, even uh, intervarsity folks. But then we'll have this whole group of social work students. And uh, we've had uh, medical health equity students come. And we've had, you know, people who care about the issues that we're leading on. It'll be a complete hodgepodge. <laughs> and it's totally fun. <laughs> totally fun. Well, it sounds like it. Um, last question that I want to ask you. As you look at 2024, there are a number of stories that are percolating around the country on tensions that are challenging and testing relationships in interfaith coalitions between those who are taking positions in solidarity with um, foreign countries like the state of Israel versus those who are expressing solidarity and expressing uh, solidarity with international actors calling for permanent ceasefire. Are you tested by or seeing any of those challenges in your networks? And are you hearing from your constituents a call to engage on issues that extend beyond your borders? Uh I think what's going on in the world right now is creating enormous tensions in, in networks all over the place. And people are uh, in pain and people are struggling. And I think it is a very hard time for interfaith relations. We view as our mission is really Virginia. And in the context of what's going on in the world, that the most important thing we can do is keep relationships going. There's things we disagree on, but there's things we can agree on, and let's work together on those. Um, but yes, it is a very difficult moment right now. Um, and frankly, at this moment, we are focused on what we can do together in Virginia. Kim 
Bobo is the executive director of the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. When we return, I talk with Ann Murphy, a resident of Northern Virginia and an active member of the Virginia Interfaith Center. She's been a faithful advocate getting on a bus for nearly two decades to head to Richmond to promote bills that she believes address structural inequality and inequity. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. We'll be back after this short break. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) 